One of the things that the church became very thankful for right off the bat was the gift of the Holy Spirit. Before Jesus left with his, uh, after his death, burial, and resurrection, before he ascended, and before he even died, he told his followers, I'm not going to leave you alone. You'll be alone for a while, but I will send another comforter. I will send another advocate. I will send someone to you who will be my presence with you. And that brought a great feeling of thanksgiving when that spirit was given. Twice in the New Testament, God pours out the Holy Spirit in an extraordinary way to mark an extraordinary event. We read about the Holy Spirit a lot in the Old Testament and the New Testament, and there's nothing to be afraid of there, only something to be comforted by, God's eternal presence. And the good news about the Holy Spirit is you don't have to understand everything about him to be able to appreciate him and to be thankful for him. And I'm grateful for that. (laughs) I have more questions than I do answers. But one thing I know, Jesus promised his presence, and that presence would come in the form of the Holy Spirit of God. That part of the deity, that part of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit. And we read in Acts chapter 2 and other places of how that Holy Spirit fills each one of us that turn to God, that turn away from our lives of sin and repent and confess that sin before others and confess that faith before others and are baptized in the name of the resurrected Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins to be raised out of the water to live a new life. And Peter, as he shares in Acts chapter 2, he speaks about receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit at that time as well. And we see that repeated over and over and over again throughout the book of Acts. And even today, when someone comes to Christ through the response of faith. But there are two times in the New Testament where that Holy Spirit is given in an extraordinary way. In a way that's not like any other, except for these two. The first is the beginning of the church. And we've looked at that as we've been going through the book of Acts for these couple of months talking about that conviction that the first century church had and how we can have that conviction in the 2020 church. And so we read about that in Acts chapter 2, the very beginning of the church. It it was something that was extraordinary. It was something that was different. It was something that was so different that God had to mark it with a sign that no one could be confused about. This is from God. And so that Holy Spirit was given on that day of Pentecost, just 50 days after Jesus was killed. And the apostles received it and they began to speak in other languages that they had never studied. And people heard the gospel of Jesus Christ preached in their native tongue because they were there from all over the known world. The Jews had come for the feast of the Passover and had stayed the extra couple of months for the feast of Pentecost. And now they were seeing this and they were hearing this and they didn't know what to think of it and And Peter goes to Joel chapter 2 and he says, this is the fulfillment of prophecy 
This is what God had said would happen. And for the first time, what Jesus had said would happen, happens. And repentance and remission of sins is preached in the name of the resurrected Lord Jesus. And 3,000 are added to the church that day because they knew this is from God. Well, when the church is only about 10 or 15 years old, Gentiles are brought into the fold in Acts chapter 10. And this is the second time and the last time that this extraordinary gift would be given, that the Holy Spirit would be given in an extraordinary, miraculous way, unlike any other, except for when it was given at the very first in Acts 2. We're familiar with the story in Acts 10 of Peter and Cornelius. You see, Cornelius is a soldier. Cornelius is an officer in the Roman army, and he's a non-Jew. He's a Gentile. And ever since the days of Abraham, 2,000 years before this time, the Jews were the people of God, and they practiced circumcision, and later they would receive the law of Moses, and they followed that law to the letter as best they could most of the time, some of the time. But they were always looking ahead to the Messiah, to the anointed one. And that was Jesus, and they killed him on the cross. And so now the Spirit has been given and the church has begun, but there's there's not been any kind of outreach to anyone but Jews up until now. And in Acts chapter 10, that all changes. Because in Acts chapter 10, Cornelius receives a miraculous vision from God where he is to sin for this man by the name of Peter. And Peter receives a vision or two as well as he is waiting to eat. He has this vision of clean and unclean animals and God saying, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter says, no, 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 no. I have never touched anything ceremonially unclean and I'm not about to start now. And the Lord says, don't you dare call anything unclean that I have called clean. And just so that Peter won't miss the point, the vision is repeated three times. And he sees it three times. And then while he's trying to figure it out, he receives another call that says, hey, there's some men downstairs and they want you to go with them. And I do too. And so Peter goes down and sure enough, there are men sent from Cornelius and and they say, hey, we we don't get all of this, but our boss said to, to come and get you and we'd love for you to go. And Peter says, let's go. And he takes some of his Jewish friends with him and they go to the house of this Gentile soldier. And they go in, and they become ceremonially unclean already. And so they go in and they swap stories, Peter and Cornelius. They, say, they share, well, Cornelius says, well, this is, this is why I sent for you. And Peter says, well, this is why I came. And he shares those words. And as they interact with each other, Luke records in Acts chapter 10, beginning at verse 34. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. And it's interesting that Peter would say such a thing to a Gentile officer. And it tells us that people knew about this story. They knew about this. 
Verse 37, you know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached. Verse 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. What did they know about Jesus, even this Gentile soldier? They knew that he went around doing good. Oh, that people in the community and the world today would think that about us. Verse 39, we are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And so when Peter tells Cornelius this man rose from the dead, he saw him die and he saw him alive. Verse 42, Jesus commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. But I think Peter still didn't get what he just said. That this gospel is for everyone. That there's not anyone that's left out, not because of their ethnic background, not because of their religion, not because of their economics, not because of anything. This gospel is for everyone, that all who come to him in obedience will be saved, and that all who hear this message and believe in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And because Peter didn't get it, and because God knew he wouldn't get it, and because God knew that his fellow Jewish Christians, that the other disciples wouldn't get it either, it took an extraordinary act, just like he did before. Verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. And now the church is ready ready to go. Well, kind of. It's going to have to get there. But in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit is given on the day of Pentecost to Jewish believers who had come to follow Jesus, these 12 apostles, including Matthias, who had replaced Judas Iscariot. And they spoke in other languages, and they spoke about the resurrected Jesus Christ, and thousands of people have come to the Lord now, but only Jews had become disciples. And that wasn't enough. And so God sends his spirit again in a second time, a second extraordinary way to mark an extraordinary event, the inclusion of the Gentiles. No longer will they have to become Jews. No longer will they have to become proselytes into Judaism. No longer will they have to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses. And that's a big, big change. And it took an extraordinary event. And Peter recognizes it now. He says, boy, I I get it now. 
I, I realize just how serious God is about his outreach to all people of all nations and all races. And we can't keep them out of the water. They're, they're called to respond in faith just like all the rest of us are. They've received the Holy Spirit just as we did at that time. And so he commands that they be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And they are the first non-Jewish disciples. Well, a couple of things about this. First of all, it was a momentous change that the Jewish and Gentile Christians struggled with throughout the first century. You would think that, oh, wow, this, this event, this story, this thing that gets told that that Peter shares, that Cornelius shares, that all of those who were with them share, and they hear about it, they're going to see automatically, wow, this is from God. No, no, they didn't. It was hard. It was hard. How hard? Well, how hard is it for you to reach out to someone who isn't like you with a message from Christ, with a call to friendship and relationship? with someone who has been your enemy, with someone who has been the enemy of your people for generations. That's what was happening now. And it was hard. It was a momentous change, and the early disciples struggled with it throughout all of the New Testament. We see it first in Acts chapter 11. Because after this mountaintop experience where Paul is there, uh, Peter is there with Cornelius and they're at, at his town, at his house, and they're, they're loving this Gentile fellowship. It's now a brother in Christ and they're eating together and they're talking together and they're laughing together. And then Peter goes back to Jerusalem. Uh-oh. And so they call him on the carpet. They have one of those great meetings and they say, what, what in the world is this we're hearing? We hear that not only did you go into a Gentile's home, but that you actually talked with them and ate with them. And Peter says, yeah, it gets worse. I sort of baptized them too. What? How could you? Did you make sure that all the men were circumcised? Did you make sure that everyone committed to following the law of Moses that our people have been following for all of these years? Uh, No, no, I, I didn't. How could you not do that? And so Peter explains. Acts chapter 11 is Peter telling the story of his vision, of Cornelius' vision, of, of everything that went on. And so we read in Acts 11, beginning at verse 15, Peter says, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. And nowhere else is it said like that. The Holy Spirit is given as an indwelling part of the presence of Christ in each of our hearts when we come to God in faith and change our lives, that's repentance, and confess that faith and are baptized into Jesus Christ. And we're raised not only to live a new life, but we're raised with the presence of the indwelling Holy Spirit of God to help us be able to do just that. But this is something different. Peter says this happened once before when we received the Holy Spirit at first, and now it's happened again. And it happened to Gentiles, to non-Jews. The Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Verse 16, then I remembered 
what the Lord had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? Well said, Peter. Verse 18, when they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God saying, so then even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. And I bet they said it somewhat just like that in disbelief. I can't believe this. God has even granted to non-Jews the call to believe and repent and live. Well, I wish I could tell you that this issue never comes up again in the New Testament, but it does time and time and time again. And Acts chapter 15 is that great Jerusalem conference that may or may not be the same as the conference that Paul alludes to in Galatians chapter 2, where they're discussing this issue. Do we make them keep the law of Moses or not? Do we make them become Jews or not? And the apostles stand firmly with the gospel and they stand firmly with the visions and the experience that Peter had and the call that Paul has in Acts chapter 2. And they say, no, we can't make them follow a law that we nor our ancestors could keep. It makes no sense. Let's let them be saved by the same gospel that saves us. In Acts chapter 21, after Paul has been arrested and he's going back to Jerusalem and he's about to be arrested again and and. And he's met by the elders there and by James and some others, and they're still concerned about this relationship between the Jewish disciples and the non-Jewish disciples. And they come to Paul and they say, hey, look, let's, let's try to ease this over a little bit. Why don't you join in these men? They have vowed a vow, and, and why don't you pay their way and their expenses and join them in that vow? And, and Paul does. Why? Because it's the right thing to do. We're going to talk about conflict and conflict management and the different options that we see, and this will be one of them. Paul says, sure, I'll be glad to accommodate. But there's other times where they stand strong, such as Galatians 2, when they say, we will not force the law of Moses on these Gentile believers. We will not ask them to become Jews. God has changed that, and he did it in an extraordinary way. The book of Romans, the book of Ephesians, so much other parts of the New Testament deal with this question. How can we be of such different backgrounds, with such different history, and yet now through the blood of Jesus Christ become brethren, brothers and sisters, saved the same way? How do we make that work? Well, it was a momentous change. And they struggled a lot with it. But secondly, this morning, this change should have surprised no one. Absolutely no one should have been surprised by this. God's vision had always been for the whole world to hear and respond to the gospel. That's what God had always said. That's what he said through the prophets. That's what he said through his son. And now they're seeing it lived out. Just a couple of brief examples. In Isaiah chapter 42, the prophet Isaiah realizes this. And he says in verses 5 through 7, This is what the Lord says, The creator of the heavens and earth, who stretches them out, 
who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. God is creator of everything. Verse 6, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. To open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I've, I've brought you to tear down barriers, to bring people together. Because we have one thing in common in spite of all of our other differences. The one thing we have in common is that we are all sinners. And that none of us has a chance to live forever on our own. We all look to the same blood of Jesus Christ that we celebrated just moments ago. As Don shared with us around this table and as he reminded us that when Jesus came, he came for all. The healthy and the unhealthy, the clean and the lepers, the Jews and the non-Jews. We skip forward a few chapters to Isaiah chapter 49. And we read this one verse, verse 6 from Isaiah 49. It is too small a thing, God says, for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. This has been God's plan all along. No one should have been surprised. And later, these are some of the passages that New Testament preachers and writers will turn to to remind us that the gospel is for all. In Matthew chapter 10, as Jesus sends out the disciples, he tells them, I'm going to have you stand before kings and others in authority among the Jews and the Gentiles. The Great Commission in Matthew 28 and Luke 24 and other places in Luke chapter 2, even when Jesus is just an infant and he is brought to Jerusalem to be purified, the prophet Simeon says, this is is God answering Isaiah's call to bring his people and to bring light to the Gentiles to bring all before the Lord. Throughout the book of Acts, we see that in the Great Commission in Acts 1 verse 8. And as Paul is brought to the Lord, one of the things that is said about him, you will be my servant and my witness to Jew and to Gentile. This outpouring of grace, this call for all to come to faith in Christ should have surprised no one. God's vision had always been for the whole world to hear and respond to the gospel. And it is still God's vision, God's desire, that everyone hear, that everyone repent, and that everyone be saved. That is every bit as much his desire today as it has ever been. As it was when he sent his son, as we read earlier from John chapter 3, during our communion time as it was when he called Isaiah to look ahead to the time when that would happen, as it was when he sent his one and only son, and when he sent his son to the cross. In Acts chapter 17 in Athens, where idolatry is paramount, Paul says God has put up with this kind of ignorance long enough. He now calls on everyone to repent, everyone everywhere. 
2 Peter 3, God does not want anyone to die, but he wants everyone to come to repentance. Romans 1, this gospel, Paul says, is for everyone, to the Jew first and to the non-Jew. And it is enough. It is enough. It will save. It saved me, Paul writes. It will save you. It will save everyone. As Acts plays out in Paul's mission journeys and as he writes in the book of Romans and in other places. We see this finally beginning to be lived out and nowhere do we see it better and nowhere do we see it earlier than in that great church at Antioch of Syria in Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11, beginning at verse 19. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch spreading the word only among Jews. But some of them, Acts 11, verse 20, some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch of Syria and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch probably to check it out but also to encourage them. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He filled out some of those blue encouragement cards that were in the pews when they were meeting at church that day. And even though it was past communion, he dropped them off in the box on the table in the foyer of the building. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Verse 25, then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, recently converted Saul of Tarsus. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul, who would be Paul, met with the church and taught great numbers of people. Acts 11, verse 26, the disciples were called Christians first, not at Jerusalem. Not anywhere in Judea. Not anywhere in Galilee. The disciples were called Christians first at this church. At Antioch of Syria. They got it. They understood that Jesus came to be a light, not just for the Jews, but for the Gentiles. And we must understand that today. Whoever it is in your mind that you think, I'm not sure that I could talk to that person. The gospel is for them. Jesus died for them. And as his disciples, we are called to be a light for those around us as well. Just as Isaiah was, just as the people of Israel were, just as Jesus was, just as those first disciples were, we are be that today. Why? Because God's vision is for the world to hear the gospel. God's vision is for everyone to worship the king, the one who is not just king, but king of kings and Lord of lords. If we can help you do that today, come as we stand, sing our song together. Oh, worship the king.